Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit BetterHelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome to Combat Chronicles episode 2. I'm your host Kyle McLaughlin and first and foremost I'd like to thank everyone for the fantastic feedback and engagement I got from the episode 1 that I posted last week and to all the patrons who have uh, hopped on board already considering there's not any exclusive content yet it's really quite humbling that everyone cares so much. So hopefully I'll give you a decent episode this week but unfortunately again there's uh, close to fuck all to talk about in terms of fights. Uh, Lots of random gossip and uh, tabloid stuff so that's what we're going to get into to start off with all the weird stuff uh, stuff which I would, wouldn't usually talk about but some of it's of, actually quite of some interest uh, and the first thing is to talk about is obviously the absolute fiasco coming out of Japan with the Shibata Yutakubo fight which I spoke about last week as something I wasn't particularly infused about um, at Ryzen 33 on New Year's Eve and it turns out that well still trying to get my head around it, but Yuta Kubo has leaked some audio of him and Shibata supposedly discussing how the fight was going to go and fixing the outcome. Uh, and if not the outcome, then certainly the fact that the first round was going to be somewhat of a walkthrough. Uh, Shibata apparently not wanting to be punched in the face. Uh, Lukewood Swords on Twitter has reported that apparently... The deal was always to go to the second round because Shibata had a friend, a YouTuber friend that was going to be ring card girl in between rounds. So the first round was always due to be a walkover uh, and basically pre-rehearsed. And as we know, Shibata sort of pulled guard into a flying arm bar and got the tap. Well, looked like a tap. Kubo protested it, but maybe that was due to the fact that he thought, hold on a minute, I'm not, not supposed to have submitted this early in the fight. There's absolutely no discussion at all that Ryzen were involved. It just looks terrible, uh, given the fact that Shibatar has been somewhat of a staple on Ryzen sort of New Year's Eve cards now, and I seriously doubt he's going to be invited back. Um, from from Yuta Kubo's wife liking a tweet that his marriage was over and, and her abysmal vocal performance, to the fact he's, he's now lost two mixed martial arts bouts, as well as not really having an avenue to go back to K1. Um, as he's passed his best just a complete mess and uh, I really just do not want to see either of those in a rising ring again it's just, it's just a complete mess uh, as for the, the leaked audio um, I think there was some talk that the Kubo didn't even want people to realise it was him, yeah it was clearly him talking um, just a complete mess from everyone and rising going back to pride days with that sort of talk of fixed fights and whatnot, not something you want to see in, in the modern game at all even in, in, a, in a joke fight between a YouTuber and a kickboxer I mean you want it to be sort of a, on the level um, obviously all the mean mugging by Shivatar in the first round and he sort of jumped on his knees and prayed prayed for mercy and everyone just thought it was part of the act and quite possibly it, it was more than just part of the act. Um, the issue is, of course, that if Kubo thinks the fix is in and then gets attacked with something he wasn't expecting, I mean, first and foremost, he got dropped by a punch. I don't know if he was expecting that. I mean, if he, if, if he's agreed not to punch to the face, and surely Shibatar should carry on his his side of the bargain. But then he's pulled down into an arm bar, which obviously said he's not experienced with the grappling phases of MMA. 
And it almost seems like did Shibatar panic? Was he always did he always want Kubo to not put much effort in and then try to sneak a win? That would go against the idea that his friend was due to be a ring card girl. I don't really know what to make of it outside of the fact that this will be the last time I talk about it. Just thought it was so interesting to talk about to lead off on episode two. Something else is great news, uh, but tarnished somewhat by some dodgy news, I guess. Not sure, depending on what you think. Is the announcement this week of a massive collaboration between Glory Infusion and Rise, three uh, prominent kickboxing organisations that could do with some cross-pollination of talent. Not quite sure the details yet. Not been announced at the time of recording. We had one last year with the... Uh, with As I spoke about on last week's episode, Patch Panaron going over to Rise. Not really much of a crossover in weight classes between uh, Rise and Glory, which is a bit concerning, but maybe it just means we'll get the odd fight on each person's cards. Maybe, you know... Rise will get the odd heavyweight come over and smash someone up just for a one fight deal, just to spruce the cards up a little bit. Doesn't necessarily mean it's fighter versus fighter. Might just be fighter share. Um, give some cards a bit more depth. Uh, Glory certainly need that. Um, also, there might be some other reason for this because perhaps if Glory aren't going to be putting on cards in the Netherlands anymore, or at least in the, in, in the near future, Infusion might have to help them out a bit. Um, words coming out this week that Glory have got serious issues with Dutch Sporting Association, essentially, with their anti-doping policies, and are basically not going to put on any events there, because, or not going to be allowed to put any on, on any events there, because their current standard of drug testing doesn't match up with what what the Dutch want. Uh, Scott Rudman, who I think is the CEO of Glory, actually clarified these comments. I just want to read them out. This was from uh, Beyond Kickboxing. Follow them on Twitter if you're not already because it's one of the best accounts on there. Glory has a generally very clean league. We support a clean sport and have very strict anti-doping policies. We're the only combat sports organisation in the entire world beside the UFC that has anti-doping tests for athletes at every event. And we have had this for many years all around the world. We work with an organisation called the ITA, which is a European anti-doping group that, for example, work with F1 and many other big sports. They are competent, independent and well-respected. The rules around doping are extremely complex and difficult. Athletes need training and support from a very young age to really enter a world where a four-year ban for a first offence is possible. Typically, this training and support in Olympic sports come from a National Olympic Committee, and athletes have access to this from a very young age. The new rules in Holland will require us to fire the ITS and work with the government Dutch Doping Authority, and they insist on a four-year ban for an athlete for a first offence. This is designed for the Olympics and Olympic sports, not combat sports and a private sports league. Glory already has a two-year penalty for a first offence, and we simply cannot go to a location where a silly mistake under complex rules could get an athlete banned for four years and destroy, destroy a career. It's not fair to athletes. We wish the Dutch doping authorities would pick up the phone and talk with us about our very successful anti-doping programme instead of trying to force Glory athletes to follow rules that don't make sense. Now, Glory are in a bad position because, um, and this is me again, quote, end quote, because you know they don't have many stars, they've not put on many cards, they really can't afford to have anyone sit out for a couple of years, certainly not four years, especially considering they're two best fighters. Uh, not fair, two best fighters. Let me let me scale that back. The two most well-known fighters they currently have under contract, especially in Holland, uh, Rico Verhoeven and Alistair Overeem. Big, big, tonk heavyweights. Let's, let's not say any more than that. We can say that Alistair Overeem's failed drug test before, that's fact. So I am aware that they would be concerned that perhaps, you know, their big fights, you know, any Badahari fight still, which somehow still pulls in the punters, even though he's well past his best. I know he's great to watch, but uh, he's still a big star for some reason. I know that they don't want that to fall out of bed. they got stars going over to MMA. They haven't got that much. Obviously, this, this cross-promotion thing with... Infusion and, and Rise might help that. But I could see why they have that issue. Do you care? 
do you give a shit whether kickboxers are juiced up or not? Some people just don't care. They'd say, I'd rather just have everyone juicing and, and they don't give a shit. For me personally, I like some sort of pretense that sports are, are clean. Um, Two-year ban, I think that's probably fair enough for a first offence. I won't go any further than that. I understand entirely that perhaps this new four-year one is, is a bit too extreme, but at the end of the day, the Dutch sporting org want that. There's not really much you can do about it. So I would say sign up for it and, and get your fighters to dope smarter, I suppose. There's not really much else you can do. Hit me up on Twitter if you think that I'm right or wrong with my statement there. Maybe you just think that it should be completely clean. I wonder what sort of spindly characters we get in kickboxing if not a single steroid was allowed. We wouldn't have had some great fights back in the day, that's for sure. Uh... Over to MMA now, back to MMA or Western MMA. Alexander Volkanovsky, Holloway, Max Holloway free, announced and cancelled within a couple of days. Max Holloway apparently injured and now all the Twitter is losing their minds over the best options to replace him. Everyone from Henry Cejudo to Yaya Rodriguez to the Korean Zombie, Josh Emmett maybe. And personally, I'm happy with any of them. I think Henry Cejudo makes the most sense from a legacy standpoint for Volkanovski, even though he probably wouldn't offer that much in the cage. I think 20 years' time, you see that Volkanovski's beaten a two-weight champion that hasn't lost for God knows how many years, and, and uh, you know, well, not officially. And I think it would do a lot for his for his resume. I think people will get excited as well. Cejudo talks a big game. It's, it's history on his part as well. don't actually think he's got much to offer to Volkanovski in any sort of technical sense. Um, but... I'd be happy with that. I see some people sort of uh, debating over whether Yaya Rodriguez or, or the Chris Zobby is a better opponent for Volkanovski. And I know Yaya's ranked place higher. We saw their fight. We actually know that Korean Zombie is essentially as good or better than Yaya Rodriguez, despite how it ended. But he's a place behind him in the rankings. Now, for me, Yaya Rodriguez is not Corey Sandhagen stepping in the fight, Piotr Jan. With Sanhagen, he'd arguably not lost his last fight to TJ Dillashaw. So he was arguably coming off a win over a former champ. Yair Rodriguez definitely lost to Max Holloway, even though he was competitive. And we've got more time to prepare a replacement this time. You don't need to have someone coming in off a loss. I think I looked it up, but career zombies being 2-1 and one in the amount of time that Rodriguez last won a fight. If Yair was coming off as close a fight with uh, Max as Sanhagen was with was with TJ Dillashaw, I could understand it, but he wasn't. He was competitive. If anything, he sort of uh, exceeded our expectations. I think maybe that's why we got a higher opinion of him coming out of that fight than we would have had if we expected him to win. No one expected him to win. So for me, Korean Zombie's fine as an opponent, not great. Uh, for Another guy that was brought up was Josh Emmett. Now, if he just smashed Dan Ige, I'd be I'd be right up for that. Um, even given you know he hasn't fought in a while due to the injury, I don't think he looked particularly good in that fight. He's ranked seventh, so a bit too far down. Um, I think, considering Chris Zombie looked better against Dan Ige, at least you got that as a point of reference. He's well known. He's an action fighter. He's somewhat smarter nowadays, but he's still an action fighter. He's a previous title challenger, so you've got a bit of respect there. And more importantly, the champion wants it. Volkanovski, for me, is at that level of champion where he gets to call the shots a little bit. If he wants to fight a Korean zombie, I'd say let him fight a Korean zombie. What I don't really get is anyone getting a tiz about what the option ends up being. At the end of the day, we're going to see Volkanovski fight in like two months' time. We should be happy with that. Um, And then later on in the year, obviously, he's probably going to fight Max again. Something that floated online was the, the opportunity for him to go up and fight Oliveira for the one five five title. I know a lot of people said, "Oh, well, that would stagnate the divisions and holds things up." Hate this champ champ shit. I meant it in the sense that Volkanovski would have moved up to one fifty five, and at least, although Chucky Olives is uh, a beast at one fifty five, at least he's a former one forty five uh, contender. So. The craziest fight. It's not like Volkanovski moving up to fight Habib or someone who comes in at like I don't know one eighty in the cage or some shit. So I wouldn't be too 
adverse to that either. Any of those things would be uh, make me happy. But at the end of the day, get to see Volkanovski fight in March, hopefully, and whoever that's against, I'll be, I'll be relatively happy with that. Just an awesome uh, elite competitor. Just truly superb. So that's sort of the news roundup done with today. Not something I like to do too often, but there's a few little things of uh, interest to talk about. So what have we got coming up in the show today? Well, we've got a little break coming up. Only a couple of seconds. And then I'm going to go through my hopes for 2022. And then I'm going to go with a few bold predictions of 2022. We're going to wrap up the show today with a the first instalment of a new feature called Closet Classics, where I pick a fight I think maybe the wider public should know about, that maybe they don't, that I think you guys get a real kick out of watching. So without further ado, here's the break, and I'll see you on the other side. So first and foremost, going to go through my hopes for 2022. Going to pick one for each sport, kickboxing, boxing, and MMA. This is just kind of things that I'd hope to see as we go on throughout the year. I'm going to start with kickboxing because it's an obvious one, and it's one that we've already had announced, and that is for uh, Tekaru versus Tension to actually go ahead. I'm a bit concerned, a bit sceptical that it is, not just because we've had so many years to get to this point, but just because I see these guys doing so many stupid things in the run-up to it. We've got, as of recording, about five months ago, so June, so that's not at all true. It's six months, obviously. I'm an idiot. Um, we've got Tekaru doing Ninja Warrior. He's apparently got a K1 fight yet to have. Tension's going to have his last fight and rise. It's just a complete mess. We've It's a massive event out there. It, as long as there's not new, a new strand of coronavirus, I, I imagine it's going to be the National Stadium, probably over 60,000 people. It's a fight that everyone wants to see. It's such a big deal. They've brought them both out of rising. They've done a press conference. It's a huge deal. I don't mind Takeru doing singing on you know, mass singer or whatever it is or whatever he wants to do karaoke that, that's fine but doing Ninja Warrior I mean he was great at it I was really surprised at how good he was at it he's an insane athlete but he falls over and hurts his wrist or something he's going to push the fight back and I think with the plans both of them have got really can't see extension after extension with this they need to get this done in June and it's bad enough that you've got tension getting twatted by a guy 30 pounds heavier than him on New Year's Eve uh, who may or may not be a half cut but now you've got Takeru doing Ninja Warrior and then both having a fight in the interim I mean is K1 going to give Takeru a hard fight just to spite him surely not they love the guy tension who's he going to fight and rise give him a soft one for a goodbye eh? not a bloke 30 pounds heavier than him like Ryzen did I just Fingers crossed they get through, but it's, it's not only my biggest hope for 2022 for kickboxing, it's the one fight. If they said to me, no fights all year, not one. Every sport gets put on hold. You get one fight. That's the one I'd have. But the next fight I'd have, probably next in line after that, would be in boxing. Four bout unification between Alexander Usyk and Tyson Fury. That's the fight I want most in the whole sport. A lot of people want to see Canelo versus Baturbiev or another fight with Golovkin or the uh, apparently in it's going to be on in March the Gonzalez Estrada rubber match. For me, uh, obviously everyone wants to see Errol Spence and, and Bud Crawford, but for me nothing comes close to Usyk versus Fury. Probably a meeting of two top ten pound for pounders, two of the most capable heavyweights we've ever seen. Both undefeated. Everyone wanted to see Fury and Joshua. Everyone wanted to see Joshua and Wilder. Why doesn't everyone now want to see Usyk and Fury? Basically, everyone thought that the big fight was Joshua versus Fury. And before that, everyone thought the big fight was Joshua versus Wilder. We've got rid of those guys now. The big fight is Usyk versus Fury. Fury versus Usyk. This is the big one. Two multifaceted technicians who can fight. Usyk's got an incredible 12-round engine. Fury has shown that he's got incredible recuperative powers and big and big punch power, which a lot of people didn't think he had for a while, but he can, he can, he can stick on you. They're both fast for heavyweights. They're both rock-hard, nails blokes. This is the fight. This is one of the best heavyweight fights of all time, in my opinion, if it happens. This is that 
Ali Frazier. You know, when you've got two belt holders that you're desperate to get into a fight together and it finally happens. Tyson Spinks, but Spinks actually is prime and can actually and can actually hack it against someone like Tyson. You know, this is this is the big one. We always wanted we can never have Vladimir Klitschko versus Vitaly Klitschko in the last era, because they're brothers. We had to settle for Vlad taking on number threes like Hay and Povetkin. But now we get a true number one versus number two, and they both happen to be pound for pound level operators. For me personally, I just I can't think of a better fight in the whole of boxing. And yes, that does include Errol Spence versus Terence Crawford. It does include Canelo and anyone you want to throw at him, including Baturbiev. This is the fight. For years, heavyweight was the weight class. And for the last couple of decades, it has not been. I know what people say, well, heavyweights aren't as good as lightweight fighters. Well, we now have two that are. So let's see it. There's talk of it happening to Saudi Arabia. I'd, I'd be glad to see it. I don't care where it's held. Get it done. Apparently Usyk has to fight Joshua again. Fury might have to fight Dillian White. I actually saw someone say the other day that to uh, some moron on Twitter to preserve the integrity of boxing, Fury should have to fight his mandatory first. Oh, fuck off, man. You're a moron. You're an idiot. Why would you give out a fight between two top 10 pound-for-pounders to let Dylan White, a guy who's two fights removed from getting sparked out by an ancient Povetkin. I mean, and what integrity do you think the sport even has? What could be, what could lend the sport more integrity than having a real, true, unified heavyweight champion of the world? Two undefeated fighters, two fighters that, even if you might not agree with everything they're saying, do outside of the ring are the absolute pinnacle of the sport inside it. For anyone who wants Dillian White to get a shot of fury before Usyk gets a unification fight, if you're listening to this podcast, turn it off now because I do not want your ears at all. Certainly don't want your patronage. Get fucked. But I'm pretty sure most of my listeners are smart. They wouldn't think something as dumb as that. As for MMA, it's not necessarily a fight, but it's something I really want to happen. And it's AJ McKee getting out of Bellator. It's not that I hate Bellator or anything like that. I just think I really want to see the best versus the best. And there's more options for him if he comes over to the UFC than there is if he stays in Bellator. I believe he's got one fight left on his deal. I know Scott Coker's a pretty good dude. He let Eddie Alvarez out of his deal before. I don't think he's going to do that with McKee. But there's been talks that McKee might take on uh, shit Pitbull up at 155 for the title. Or he might have to rematch uh, Pitbull. Uh, good Pitbull, that is. Patricio. At 145, he might have to, he might fight Mads Bernal, who's probably the the next best contender in line at 145. All great options. I just hope he gets out of it unscathed and doesn't sign an extension because for me, he is taking up the mantle from Patricio Pitbull as probably the best fighter outside the UFC, especially with what we saw Horiguchi recently getting sparked by Sergio Perez, which was of course last week's knockout of the year. If you listen to that. Um, so for me he's definitely the best 145 pounder outside the UFC I don't really want to see if they do like crossovers again and with Bellator rising I've got really no interest in seeing McKee go over and smash up Mikuru Asakura or something like that I mean I wouldn't say no to it be fine for New Year's Eve or be fine for the uh, Takaru Tension Super Show don't get me wrong but not too many fights eh? McKee's in his prime Volkanovski's in his prime. Let's see it. It's, some, it's not quite as exciting as the old, you know, the the, the pride uh, UFC uh, crossovers that we all wanted. But for me, in terms of the quality of the fight, it's one of the best fights we've made in the whole sport. I just told potential patrons to fuck off. Um, only if you're a moron. If you're listening now, I'm, I'm sure you're not. You're probably smart. Uh, so you won't mind me putting in this patron sting. Uh, for those that might not necessarily know what I'm going to offer at Combat Chronicles. So, a little break, and then we're going to go on for my bold predictions for 2022. Uh, And I've tried to be as bold as possible. So, stick around, listen to this shameless plug, and then I'll go through them.
Combat Chronicles podcast is here to bring you previews, reviews and a look at the rich history of combat sports. The only way we can do it is with your support. So please head on over to www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles. But of course, monetary support is not the only way you can get involved. Head on over to your preferred podcast platform and give us a five star rating and review to make the podcast more visible to others. Thanks for listening and back to the show. Told you it would be long. My first bold prediction for 2022 is actually tied into some of the news we had at the top of the show. And that's uh, Rico Verhoeven versus Alistair Overeem won't happen. Now, if you're wondering why I think it won't happen, well, first and foremost, it was supposed to happen already back in October. October 23rd, Glory Collision 3. It was a big one. Rico versus Overeem. Obviously, Overeem, former K1 Grand Prix winner back in 2010. Rico, long-time champ now in Glory. Um, and the best heavyweight in the world. And it didn't. Overeem got injured. And I just think with the recent news about Glory's issues with promoting events in Holland and the fact that there's no way they would put a fight so big on anything other than a Glory pay-per-view in Holland in a big arena means I don't think this one's going to happen. And I'd be gutted, to be honest with you. Even though the Reeves seen better days, it'd be a big fight for Rico and a big fight for the sport. And even though Glory's like seems to be on his last legs, people seem to get excited for their events still. It's got some sort of name value and, and cachet in the sport. So anything that brings eyes to kickboxing, especially with someone like the Reem. I mean, as I said earlier, whenever Badahari fights, people watch because it's Badahari. When Alistair Overeem fights, people are going to watch. It's going to bring in the casual crowd from MMA. I think it's an amazing fight for kickboxing as a sport. It's really concerned. Um, well, first and foremost, the, the Glory aren't going to put the events on because of this uh, preferred drug testing by... Uh, the Dutch authorities and secondly if they if they go into it that one or two of these fighters might not do so well in that kind of testing pool um, it might well be that I haven't really looked into it in terms of the, the drugs kind of tested it might well be that it's only the punishments that are more severe rather than the drug testing pool itself so that they could pass either way um, but I'd be really concerned that um, if they did this and then one of them popped that's goodbye to the fight forever essentially um Unless Gloria doing uh, events in France, which I'm sure they will, I can't see again. I cannot see a big Dutch double header like this um, not being done in Holland. Um, I just, I just can't see it. So for me, bring me back to the glory days of Dutch heavyweight kickboxing. I'd love to see this one. I'm just really concerned that due to the other stuff surrounding it, that it's not going to happen. Not actually sure about the Reem's current injury status as well. Um, and no, I did not do injury in quotation marks. I do actually think he was injured. Um, but for me, that's my bold prediction for kickboxing. And, and unfortunately, it's a, it's a negative one. For boxing, uh, my bold prediction is maybe not quite as bold as that one. But it's that neither Deontay Wilder nor Anthony Joshua wins a fight in 2022. Now, if Anthony Joshua fights... Usyk next, I think he'd probably take a batter and then won't fight again. So that would be that one. And I think even when we talked about Fury and Usyk, I still think that after Joshua and Usyk rematch is the one they're going to do next. Just contractually, I think it'd be easier to get that out of the way. And for all of Joshua's talk this week about accepting that Usyk was the better man than him, I still don't think, no matter when they do it, and I assume it's going to be in spring in England, I don't think he can really do much to close the gap I think it'll take a pace in and I think this time he'll get stopped and if so I think he would retire maybe he'd come back for a Fury fight just because you know they'd do it just to do it but wouldn't have too much interest in that sure the sweet Carolina types would be tricking themselves all Joshua's got to do is walk forward yeah alright I hope he does try and close the gap against Usyk, like physically. I don't mean in terms of seals wise. I mean, I hope he does try to pressure him. He get absolutely chinned, probably within five rounds. I think. As for Wilder, well, I just think he shot the bits. I think uh, that beating he took from Fury and the fact it ended so decisively. Um, Wilder's one of these guys. He's kind of aggressively dumb in terms of his arrogance. This guy is. It's a, it's, it's a plus. It really is a plus. He does not really act like a loser. Continues to come back and, and fight well, even if he has a terrible performance. He cannot tell himself that he, that he was bad. Continues to fight in much the same way. Um, to his detriment in terms of how fights play out. But in terms of his mindset, 
it's almost definitely a positive. I just think the two beatings he's just taken back to back. I know there was time in between the fights, but the beating, particularly this took in the last fight, is a career ender, a prime ender, shall we say? Not a career ender, but a prime ender. Now, it might well be that they give him a soft touch, but we've seen before that he hasn't done too brilliantly against soft touches. Usually needs to pull a KO out of his ass. And for a bloke who's getting staggered around constantly against Fury and then sparked after a sustained, hellacious beating from a guy, well, outweighing you by a good couple of stone, I think that it's uh, almost a given that even if mentally he's right, Wilder's chin is going to fail him. That's the kind of beating. What is he, 35, 36, something like that? 35, maybe a little bit younger, 34, whatever, 30 something. That's the kind of beating that takes your legs away forever. And this is a guy who's a bit Bambi on ice anyway. He's tough as nails, but in terms of his physicality, he can get stunned relatively easy. I think some people have tricked themselves into thinking that Wilder's got some amazing chin now he's sustained the beating from Fury twice in a row. Um, I don't think he has got a great chin. He's got humongous bollocks. He's a bit like Amir Khan in that regard. He'll, he'll pull himself together as best he can to not hit the deck or after he has hit the deck. But his eyes and his legs betray him. But he's tough as old boots, don't get me wrong. But in terms of his durability, I'm concerned that it's gone forever. So that's my big one for boxing. Neither Wilder nor Joshua wins a fight in 2022. We'd have to have Usyk Fury then, wouldn't we? But it's not just wishful thinking. I really do think that's a, a distinct possibility. Although it is still a bold prediction. My bold prediction for MMA is that Kamzat Chimaev is going to smash Kamara Usman. I don't know when the fight's going to be made. I reckon only one more fight for Chimaev before he gets a title shot. UFC pretty clearly realise what they've got there. A potential breakout star. And I have absolutely no basis for really... To think this, I'm one of these people with safety first when it comes to prospects. I like to see him tested against all types of styles. I like to see him tested against all types of styles multiple times. I like to see him work their way through the rankings. And which might have I really had any of that. There's some good stuff there, don't get me wrong. The knockout over Aliskrov over in Brave. Quick win over Leech. Well, dominant win over Leech and still quick. And the fact that he's smashing guys who are below his level, as he should be. But sometimes you can see prospects look great and then fall apart as they step up. Why did I hate Brandon Fatch so much? Or rather hate the hype so much, but I'm completely sold on Kamzat Chimaev, for an easy example. And the simple fact is, he just looks special. I'm done underrating these guys when I've got a feeling about them. There's only so many times you can tell your instincts to say shut up. Do you know what I mean? But this is one of those times. My brain's telling me, come on. Need some more data. See how he gets on progressively against different styles. But no. I've just got a feeling that he's on the ascendancy. Kamara Usman's on the downturn. As evidenced in the last couple of rounds of the rematch with Colby Covington. And Chimaev can bang as well. And he looks really comfortable in the stand-up. He doesn't look like... He doesn't react like a, a cat get water flicked at it when he gets sees shots back at him. Not that he's seen many. That's another issue, of course. We don't know what he's going to be like in the trenches. But I've just got a feeling about him. And I'm boldly saying that by the end of 2022, maybe on the December card, let's say let's say that Chimaev beats... The, the rumour is that he's going to fight Gilbert Burns. There's been a lot of rumours about who Chimaev's going to fight, but apparently these guys have been talking on Instagram... And they're up for it. Whether they're going to make it, I don't know. But let's say he beats Gilbert Burns. And first and foremost, there is then no talk whatsoever that this guy is not one of the best weights in the world. And when you're in the top three, you're ready for a title shot. Fact. If he could do a good job on Gilbert Burns, why wouldn't he be ready for Kamaru Usman? Who is definitely better than Gilbert Burns, but is in that same sort of level. I think that Usman is on the downturn, as I say, not being too sold. I mean, he's clearly, he can bang. He's more, he get more and more comfortable with his striking, even though he's still rigid in that regard. But he's gotten away from the other things that made him so great. He's lost that fantastic facet of his style, which is his wrestling. 
Chimaev is a monster in the grappling department. I'm not sure he can necessarily outdo Usman there, but he's definitely a monster. And he can bang. The guy can bang. He's comfortable. He's probably, I would say, more comfortable with his hands than Usman is. It, but here's the thing. Usman's proved it at a higher level. So who am I to say that Chimaev can actually do this? Well, as I say, bold predictions. Love to see what you guys think. It's crazy, actually, because now I'm thinking about whether the UFC will put him in with Gilbert Burns. And yet, it was only last year they were willing to put him with Leon Edwards. And I said then, listen, they would not be doing this unless they... Listen, there are a lot of guys online who are great analysts, but it doesn't necessarily mean they know everything. Sometimes the UFC guys will know something. If they think Chimaev's ready for Leon Edwards, why would they have thrown a guy in that they've clearly got high hopes for, that they think could be some sort of breakout star for them against a guy that they don't want to give any shine, that isn't markable in the slightest? They wanted Chimaev to get rid of Leon Edwards. Leon Edwards is a problem. He's a guy who won't lose who's due a title shot, that they can't sell. So trust me, they see something in him. And I see something in him. I'm not saying I'm a great analyst or anything like that, but I see something in this guy. And I think if he beats Gilbert Burns, he's ready. And I think he's going to just run through Usman. I really do. And I know it sounds crazy, but I've just got a feeling. So those are my bold predictions for Three big sports. As I say, we are going to cover other sports, but they're the only ones I've got bold predictions for today. Let me know what you think over at Combat CHR on Twitter. That's Combat with a zero and seven O. Thanks again, Cody Garbrandt, for getting me banned. And thanks to Kai Kara France for sparking him out. We're going to have a little break again, and then we're going to come back with the first instalment of Closet Classics. <laughs> So this first instalment of Closet Classics, it's going to be me talking about an MMA fight. But for this feature, which I hope will be semi-regular, probably once a month, maybe every couple of episodes, probably wheel it out whenever I need something to talk about. Uh, it's going to be me talking about a fight which I think just goes under the radar more than it should. Uh, as I say, it could be M- MMA, Muay Thai, boxing, kickboxing. This one it is MMA and it is the Stone Cold Classic. And this is no hyperbole, one of the greatest fights of all time between Olaf Alfonso and John Polakowski at WEC9. Now, it's one of those fights I think people would think more highly of just if it had taken place in UFC or Pride. It's one of the craziest, wildest bouts I've ever seen in any combat sport. But in order to really get a grasp of it, I need to give you a bit of background on each fighter. There isn't much to give on Polakowski, so we'll get to him in a minute. But with Olaf Alfonso, he's very much probably one of the first big stars of WEC. Everyone thinks of Uriah Faber as the California kid and the star of WEC, but before that, Alfonso was probably their favourite son. He was known by the WEC faithful for having crazy fights, bringing a zany style to the cage, and just basically being a complete madman. But to be able to speak, he almost sounds like a new age hippie, real soft-spoken. I think before the uh, Maha Sakurai fight in, in Pride, he said that he prepared by climbing trees. I'm actually going to use a snippet of his audio from that to give you an idea of what kind of bloke this was. As you can see, my nose has been broken. It's been broken nine times. Um, the first three have actually been from the U.S. military. I, I worked for them for eight, eight years or so. And uh, I also have uh, broken my jaw. I have a, a calcium plate in my head. I've got a bullet in my back. I've, I've got uh, a false foot here. It's completely metal there, my left ankle. And then I have a, I have a replaced hip and a lot of other bullet wounds and, and knife wounds and the last six uh, breaks in the nose have been from fights actually um, five of them from in in the ring and then one of them from my my sparring my sparring partner is actually a female 130 pound female <laughs> who who actually did the worst break of all because my nose is actually broken here and she's the one that put it here what a guy uh, as for his opponent john polakowski there really isn't much to say uh, he was training with uh, chuck liddell at a time in the pit and uh, in, in, in this fight, you'll actually see, if you, if you watch it, which I think after the description I'm going to give of it, you will, you'll see Liddell and John Hackleman there. So they are cornering him. Uh, it's not a surprise because their guy decided to take this fight on the day of the contest. Uh, you know, regional MMA, small-time MMA, we know what it's like, opponent pullouts and whatnot, and you usher guys in. From what I can tell, um, 
Polakowski was a, was a kickboxer. Might have trained some of May. I imagine he did at the pit, but generally was a stand-up fighter. Took this fight on late notice, I think on the afternoon of the fight, on the morning of the fight, and basically just stepped in as a debutante and had pretty much no idea what he was doing outside of being a, a tough dude. So the fight itself is insane, but the event's pretty insane as well. Um, if you actually watch the early WC events, you'll see it's typical of regional MMA. One camera set up, no commentator, um, amateur hour really, although they're putting on good fights. And, and if you watch the early WC events, you will see some important pivotal fighters of the uh, of the next era. But WEC9 is where they really start getting their shit together. Like much MMA at the time, it has a subtitle of cold-blooded, which I never really liked. Um, UFC used to subtitle their events. It was always come across as cheese. Pride did it, but um, they were pretty cool. And I think if they'd had like 200 events, their ones would have got stale and shit eventually as well. One Championship still do it now, and it is the cringiest, awful, you know, pride of gladiators. And, you know, yeah, that sort of shit. Oh, it's just awful crap. Tripe. Um, but WC Night, Cold Blooded, is actually a really good event. Um, multi camera set up. They've got uh, commentators, Jeff Blatnick on commentary. Um, so it's really, it's a really, it's a really good event, and and it's and it's basically punctuated by this, which is, in my opinion, one of the wildest fights of all time. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm just going to give you a little hint as to how great it is by just showing you how it kicks off. So first and foremost, with the announcement of Olaf. And introducing his opponent on my right in the red corner. A submission fighting specialist and member of the Odo Fight Club. Five feet nine inches tall, a psycho, 155 pounds. He comes to us by way of Ensenada, Mexico. And is truly the pride of Mexico's MMA circuit. Please welcome to the WEC cage, Olaf! Weird thing about Olaf is, his name's Olaf Alfonso, and he, he did get announced as that, but a, a lot of these fights, you'll see him announced as the one and only Olaf. Not No surname, just that. Um, as I say, strange times for MMA, but he was somewhat notorious and weird, enigmatic uh, type guy, even though, as you can tell from the clip I posted, sounds like a really jovial, well-spoken guy. Um... I think after this fight, Polakowski got the name Buckets of Blood, um, which is strange, but we'll get to that in a minute. Um, first of all, I was just going to play the first uh, couple of seconds of the fight, just to give you an idea of how insane this fight is. In front of him, John Polakowski from the famed slow kickboxing gym. I'll tell you this, the guys that slow kickboxing can fight. Let's see how they do. Oh, Olaf comes firing with those rights. Oh, my goodness. Rights and lefts. Actually, turns out that for once, it wasn't Olaf breaking his nose. It was uh, Polakowski, and there is blood everywhere. This fight only gets better from there on in. Yes, indeed, there is basically a flash knockout five seconds into the belt by a guy who's taking a fight on a couple of hours' notice, essentially. A debutante. I believe Olaf Alfonso was 2-1 and one going into this fight. And from here on out, it just gets crazier. We've got German suplexes, standing arm triangles, multiple knockdowns, gore galore. It does not let up until the final seconds of round three. For me, this is the very definition of a closet classic because not a lot of people know about this fight, and they should. I understand that not every MMA fan wants to go back into the archives. For some, modern sensibilities just do not allow them to enjoy fights that are a bit more ragged, maybe not as streamlined as mixed martial artist skill sets are today. But trust me, this fight will overcome that. It is absolutely insane. It does not stop. It's bedlam from the first bow to the end. Obviously not going to spoil the result. I want you guys to go enjoy it. You can find it on UFC Fight Pass. Just put in Olaf Alfonso and watch as many of his fights as you want. Uh, but these guys actually had a trilogy. 
And, and the crazy thing about this fight is uh, Polakowski's first three fights were all against Olaf Alfonso, and he only had four in his whole career. Um, for the more attentive viewer, you might remember him from the uh, Big Nog Mir series of Tough, um, but I never actually watched that series. I have seen his fight with uh, George Root, um, who's... You know, if you if if you follow WEC again, you you'll be well aware of him as a fire. Although he obviously had a stint in UFC as well. Um, both of these guys were thrown to the wolves against Rob McCullough, um, Alfonso in WEC, where he got one of the most frightening knockouts I've ever seen. Uh, and Polakowski actually in K1. I've I've not actually seen that that fight. Um, so I have to hunt that down. Who knows? Maybe that will end up being a closet classic, but I doubt it. Um, Alfonso's a weirdo, basically. He's his striking's crazy, ragged, he looks like a caveman. He's scrambly, always hunting for submissions, all kinds of weird trips and throws. Uh I don't know where this guy learned all this stuff, but it doesn't really put it together in a cohesive MMA game. He's just he's marked down as a freestyle fighter, and that probably describes him uh best because there's not really any process to his style. Uh, or his game, he just whatever he feels like doing in the moment, he just seems to go for it. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Uh, Polakowski is clearly a stand-up striker, um, and pretty good with it as well. Actually, he's got nice hands, uh, limited kicks, but really nice hands, uh, nice left hand, nice hook, really nice right straight, um, powerful, and just you know he guts it out. He, he clearly doesn't have much of a clue about the ground game. But you can see he's desperately trying to get up and he's doing his best to, to advance position and, and, and get the fight back to the feet. And they have two more fights and they're, they're both also worth watching. I really do believe without these two are linked, this is one of the great rivalries in mixed martial arts. I really do believe that. It is a fantastic series of fights. They've all got something to, to show for them. But this first one is, I promise you, if you don't like this fight, then you're not a fight fan. It's crazy. Yes, it's sloppy, but it's crazy. And I think once you know more about the context about these guys, it makes more sense about why it means so much. A debutante taking a fight on a couple of hours notice. I like Alfonso, who was the you know, the king of WEC, certainly not the top fighter, but a fan favourite and a great action fighter all the same. The thing is with um Alfonso, he actually had a crazy 2004. This fight was January 16th, 2004. And four months later, they put him with a young guy you might have heard of called Gilbert Melendez. Some people forget that he was in WEC, I think. Um, but he was only a young fighter himself, 3-0. He'd fought at WEC pretty much exclusively. I think he had one fight, Rumble on the Rock, which is obviously another semi Big promotion at the time, but this is big events. This is even before he fought in Shuto. So Melendez wears board shorts to the fight against Alfonso, and he's clearly nowhere near where he is yet. He's he's got Jake Shields in his corner, and whatnot. So the setup's there, but he's not where he should be. And and, and he, but grappling wise, he's got too much for Alfonso positionally, and he wears him out and stops him. And then they give him a a bounce back fight. Alfonso he, he beats a guy called Philip Perez, who I know nothing about. I think he's just a I guess a regional fighter, club fighter, beats him in the first round. This, by the way, the Melendez fight was for the first ever WEC lightweight championship. And then, I'm guessing Melendez left for Shuto, so they, they made the title vacant. Uh, and then, he fights Gabe Rudiger, Alfonso. They give him another shot at the lightweight title. Gives you an idea about how popular he was. They keep giving him vacant title shots, you know, because he's like the marquee star they have. The Rudiger fight, Alfonso's actually really, you know, juicy in this. He goes for it early. Ends up being choked out with a rear naked choke. Probably the worst submission I've ever seen in terms of refereeing. I think if you were going to get a fatality from submission in a cage, that would have been it. Not for the faint of heart. Um, And then he fights Polakowski again a year later. Uh, Their rematch. Won't, again, won't go into the results. And then, I don't know, really know what happens with Alfonso, but he fights Rob McCullough and gets absolutely destroyed, as I'm sure you could imagine. Gumshield appears to go through his head. Um, Pretty, again, pretty 
energetic first round. Alfonso does pretty well in the grappling, but gasses out and gets wiped out. And then uh, uh, Bushido 11, Pride, June 4th, 2006. Probably one of my favourite knockouts of all time and almost certainly one of the greatest knockouts in the history of Pride Fighting Championships. Uh, they sent Alfonso over to fight uh, Maha Sakurai. Yeah, didn't go well for him. And later on, Polakowski and Alfonso had a third one, which is actually really good again. No spoilers. Watch all three of the fights. Not as great as their first. Not by a long shot. Perhaps not quite as exciting as their second. But a sustained, decent fight over three rounds that brought the trilogy to a decent close. John Polakowski finished with a career of two and two. That's all. And Olaf Alfonso, despite being really popular for his day, finished with a record of just eight wins and 12 losses. But then the joy of watching Olaf Alfonso, or indeed the one and only Olaf, it's not because he was a world beater. It's because he did crazy shit against basically everyone he fought. Never more so than in the first fight with John Polakowski. So if you've got Fight Pass, load it up, find it, and watch it. Come back and thank me later. But now here's me thanking you for listening to the second episode of the Combat Chronicles podcast. Again, that's www.patreon.com slash combat chronicles if you want to support the show. Or as I said earlier, you can always go to your preferred podcast platform, give this a five-star rating and a review, and that really helps to make the Combat Chronicles podcast more visible to others. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next week, where at last, we actually have some fucking fights to talk about. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.